Well, what happened 40 years ago today? You've forgotten? You weren't paying attention then? Or maybe you just weren't born then? Well, we will remind you today about what happened. Plus, markets today, are they rethinking the speed of rate cuts in the US? Or are they just hanging out waiting for the latest US CPI numbers, which are out tonight? We also get UK jobs and wages data today and the German Zoo Survey. All of this relevant, of course, on the big week for central banks. Plus, the NAB Business Survey is out today as well. It's Tuesday, the 12th of December, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So after the US dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound, and now the renminbi, what is the next most traded currency in the world? It is the Aussie dollar, of course, but it wasn't always so. Uh, Before Paul Keating floated the currency 40 years ago, uh, today uh, it was well down that pecking order. It seems the ability to speculate rather than just being tied to a weighted average of other currencies has had a profound effect on the Aussie dollar. We'll spend a few minutes talking about that today. Before we get to that, though, the Aussie dollar is down 0.2% today with the US dollar up 0.1% on the DXY. Uh, Not much moving in Europe either or with the pound, uh, but the US dollar is bouncing back a little against the yen up 0.9% today, by far the biggest move, but still 3.6% lower than its peak against the yen about a month ago. And US bond yields are higher. Well, they were up five basis points for 10-year treasuries, but just up one basis point now and uh, less in Europe as well. Actually, 10-year bond yields in Germany are down one basis point. Yields haven't moved much across most of Europe, but they are up four basis points in the UK. Aussie 10-year yields, they were up four basis points yesterday to 4.34%, down four basis points overnight though. And equities are pretty mixed. The Nasdaq was in the red for a lot of the session, but it closed up 0.2%. The S&P up 0.4% at close. The Dow up 0.4% as well. In Europe, the DAX closed up 0.2%. The FTSE 100 down 0.1%. And oil, well, it was falling. WTI was down 0.8% not so long ago, but a complete reversal in the last hour or so. It's up 0.3% now. Brent was 0.6% lower. Now it's up 0.4%, a little over $76. So Ray Attrell uh, joins me today. Um, Not much data in the last 24 hours, but very different sentiment today to the end of the week. Uh, So, I mean, is this because there's been more absorption of those payroll numbers and perhaps this expectation that the Fed isn't necessarily going to cut in a hurry. Is that what we're seeing today? I think we're seeing a bit of sort of pre-CPI <coughs> inertia, Phil, at, um, when that you know, that CPI number or inflation ready numbers have been, the, the, I'd say, the primary source of, of volatility across most asset classes, particularly bonds, you know, in the last few months. Um, and we've got the uh, we've got the November numbers today um, just in front of the the Fed, obviously, later in the week. So I think that uh, markets are kind of waiting with uh, with bated breath for that. So I think that would uh, and then there hasn't been a lot of uh, a lot of overnight news. as you well, see. We, had the, we had the New York Fed inflation expectation, didn't we, which was one year out down to 3.4%, which is actually the lowest in the survey since 2021. Uh, That's right, yeah, 3.36, I'm just looking through. Three point, I think we did 3.36 in April 2021. So you go back, as you say, to March, 3.57 was the last time it was that high. I remember that comes off the, you know, that big drop in the University of Michigan uh, equivalent readings that we had last Friday that you talked about yesterday. And um, so of the various sort of inflation expectations measures, it looks like the average it's going to come in a fair bit below um, the October readings, and um, you know I think that's uh, you know potentially comforting you know, in that sense of um, you know whether underlying inflation really is is falling fast, but whether it's going to be enough 
for the Fed to, to call time on the rate hiking cycle uh, when they meet this week, I think is is unlikely. I still think we're going to see, you know, particularly after the, the strength in the labour market numbers again that you talked about yesterday. Uh, I think the Fed will still be saying, will be expressing its willingness to raise rates again if necessary, even if I think the revised forecasts and other surrounding sort of atmospherics of that meeting will, will leave markets pretty convinced that they're done. And I, and I guess it's it's small beer compared to the CPI numbers, which is obviously the biggest number of the month, really. But we get the uh, the NFIB small business survey out today. I think it was you made the point that small businesses tend to be a bit more pessimistic when there's a Democratic party in power. Uh, so that might take some of the uh, a while for the optimism to kick back in anyway. Perhaps it's going to take a year. But will we get much out of that today? No, I think you're right, actually. It does historically. It's, it's because, you know, the majority of small business owners uh, tend to have um, Republican political leadings. I think that's why you get that. But um, but for me, more interestingly, is the, is the hiring intentions. And the NFIB actually puts that out a few days before. So it's just checking that was out. Uh, towards the end of last week, and it was tracking at a very stable 18, which is actually above its long-term average. And the last five or six prints have been either 17 or 18. So very much consistent with the message, I think, from Friday's employment report that um, you know employment growth on a trend basis may be a little bit lower, um, but it's still running at pretty healthy rates that are, are consistent at the moment, at least, with um, little or no decline in the unemployment rate. Right. Outside the US, there's obviously something going on because we've got this big move in the yen today. What's going on? Well, it's a, the, the yen has, has, has become the, uh, the the glamour currency in, in FX markets really ever since um, you know, that uh, parliamentary testimony from BOJ Governor Ueda uh, last week, where he was reported to say that the end of the year and uh, early next year could be challenging as far as uh, policy was concerned. And then um, you know, he skipped off to see the Prime Minister straight after the hearing, which has really put the hairs running on a potential. You talked about surprises yesterday. I think I was very emphatic in saying I wasn't going to be surprised by a surprise <laughs> before the end of this year. Well, uh, you know, that, the confidence in that view was, was shaken a little bit by that. But um, but we have had a Bloomberg source story that's come out overnight uh, saying that BOJ officials see little need to rush into scrapping the world's last negative interest rate this month. And they have yet to see enough evidence of wages growth that would support sustainable inflation. So here, here I would say, um, you know, if you look at the latest labour cash earnings numbers, which came out last Friday, for example, they're still tracking very much within the range of the last two or three years. So um, I would agree that the wages condition, if that is going to be the ultimate arbiter, of what the BOJ uh, does on policy, then it still plays to our longstanding view um, that it's probably going to be next spring and, and early indications on the wages rounds uh, before we will actually see a formal change. But the BOJ has surprised before. It's surprised on Christmas Day in years past. So uh, never say never, but I think that report has, has kind of put those expectations um, sort of back in the box. Well, about five days out from Christmas Day, aren't they, next week? But anyway, uh, the uh, here's an outside uh, view. Uh, the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, they released their latest outlook saying that they reckon the Bank of England isn't going to cut rates until 2026. Uh, that seems a bit unlikely, doesn't it? But anyway, what uh, what we do know... That's, that's, a, that's a long table, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a long, God knows what's going to do to house prices in the meantime. But look, we uh, we get job numbers and wages data today in the, in the UK, don't we? The October wages were still up at 7.9% on that uh, three-month average up to, uh, for year-on-year year up to September. 
but there was a public sector bonus that was paid in July and August, so that might be a little bit high. But, I mean, it's still a big number, isn't it? Uh, but then we've also had lots of industrial disputes since, so there's still this push for higher wages as well. So that is a big concern for the Bank of England. Absolutely, and until we see a far more meaningful decline, you know, so even though the, mm. the Bank of England in itself has acknowledged other labour market data, such as private payrolls and some of its own and um, survey data is suggesting that uh, you know, underlying pay growth is not nearly as elevated as those sort of you know seven point seven to seven point nine percent numbers. But you know we're going to have to see you know a marked actual decline before rate cuts come onto the agenda. Um, you know certainly I think that uh, the Bank of England is going to be you know more of a laggard um, than the Fed or the ECB, um, whether it comes or not before the RBA. That's a whole se- separate uh, uh, subject itself. But um, you know we do think that. Uh, rates will be coming down sort of through the second half of, of next year at the earliest but um 2025 2026 it's it's certainly possible and um you know if the labor market and the wages numbers you know have got fours or fives or six in front of them it's going to be quite hard for the Bank of England, I think, to justify earlier rate cuts. No idea what they're basing that on. It's just a newspaper headline I saw today. Look, uh, the NAB business save is out uh, today as well. Uh, it has continued to show strong conditions, but falling optimism, hasn't it? I wonder if we'll see uh, we'll see that last uh, th- this time. I mean, last time some industries have got a brighter outlook. So, transport and utilities. Construction and manufacturing—they were heading in the uh, well, in 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 a positive direction anyway. Uh, maybe not unbounded enthusiasm, but better than downbeat. So it's going to be interesting to see what it uh, what it shows today. But, uh, for sure, but uh, no previews here at uh, being a, no. a, a NAB sensitive release. And well, we know uh, nothing. Have, we have, we know nothing. But uh, as I say, I suppose that the char- you know, the defining characteristics, obviously, of the survey in uh, much of this year has been that uh, you know conditions have been running consistently above confidence and. Uh, you know, we've talked about some of the reasons for that, potentially what, what migration is doing in terms of propping up aggregate demand, even though we've got this sort of per capita recessions going on, which is obviously feeding into confidence, as is the rise in interest rates. So so let's see. No, we'll also get consumer confidence about an hour before um, the NAB business survey. And, uh, you know, consumer confidence has been languishing very near the sort of pandemic era lows, really, for much of this year. So um, that's going to be worth a mention as well, I suspect. Yeah, and the German Zoo Survey today, the Economic Sentiment Index, this is based on analysts, isn't it? So I don't know. It's still worth a look, I guess. What? It, it, so I have to keep saying, and what, and what do we know? It's, uh, I can't say that on my behalf. <laughs> exactly, there we are. So look, uh, it is Central Bank Week. Just very quickly, uh, one word answer to this, because I want to talk to you about, about the Australian dollar. But look, we've got the Bank of England, we've got the ECB, we've got the Norge Bank, we've got the Swiss National Bank. Uh, we've got the FOMC. Are any of them going to do anything? Are any of them going to lift rates or lower rates, or is it all just steady uh, she goes till Christmas? I, I think it's pretty much steady, as you know. So we're really looking for shifts and, you know, whether or not the, the likes of the Swiss National Bank, for example, you know, signal had been signaling a tightening bias. If anyone's going to signal formally sort of the end of the tightening process, I think they might be a candidate. But um, mm. no, I think it's more that the, 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 it's a language rather than the policy actions and and the and the um, revisions to sort of inflation forecasts that I think are going to be where the market volatility lies this week. I think I referred to it once as a cornucopia of central banks, which someone commented on. So I thought, what else can we call the collective noun? So I went to chat GPT to see what it reckoned. It came out with a flurry of central banks. It's not bad. A flurry, okay. I thought you were going to say we're going to have to beat something out here. That's, no, that's no, this, no, it, it, no, it's, no, it's not going to come out with anything. And then I, and then I said, you know, and that doesn't work. Give it another go. So it, came, it said a wad of central banks. 
Uh, oh, which, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. A collusion. Maybe. It sounds like sounds like there isn't a formal one. There's a there's a. You know, we need one. We need one. Anyway, look, tell me for an economist to make his name. There is exactly now. Tell me about maybe you, Ray Actual. Uh, work on that one now. Tell me about the Aussie dollar. It floated forty years ago today. What happened on that day? You, the rate was like a basket of currencies, wasn't it? Until that point, and then the move happened. Uh, and how did it go? And what's been the impact on this? You know, on the on the economy. It's ever since over those forty years. I, I mentioned on the introduction, it's traded a lot more than it was before. That's that's one thing. No, absolutely, it's gone up to. Uh, well, actually, it had gone up to fifth in the pecking order up until the last couple of years. Was actually there's more daily volume traded in the Chinese yuan these days than there is in the Aussie dollar. So that's been one of the characteristics of recent years. But yeah, as you say, um, the decision came on the on the Friday night, which was the uh, the 9th of December, um, you know, against the uh, uh, the better judgment of the uh, the, the then um, Treasury Minister, um, and we floated on that Monday morning at around 91 cents. So um, you know, we're still at where we are today. We're well below the the long term average, but um, but Aussie did trade lower in its early years. That was very much in the midst of the for the Paul Volcker Fed driven strength that we saw in the U.S. dollar that led up to that. Plaza record in um, in 1985 aimed at arresting um, U.S. dollar strength, but um, you know, but just looking at the sort of the ups and downs. The other thing to say is that inflation in the lead up to the decision to float, um, I think it was, it was about nine percent or eight point six something when it floated. It had been you know in the year before up to twelve percent, so it was really you know. Inflation was one of the uh, the driving motivations, and the fact that uh, mm. without that sort of the buffers of exchange rate volatility, it was showing up to some extent in inflation and output volatility. So, you know, interestingly, that in the you know the dozen years or so post the float, we did see inflation trending down from that sort of eight point something percent, you know, down, you know. To the sort of levels we became far more familiar with during the uh, the nineties and and then so it has been a stabilizer. Absolutely, it's been an automatic stabilizer, and I think that's been, you know, that's always been the rationale for it to allow the exchange rates to uh, to take the strain both in periods of, of weakness and in strength. So, you know, particularly during, if you think about the high, I mean, the high point in two thousand and eleven, when Aussie uh, briefly traded above one ten against the U.S. dollar, we were very much in the midst of the that the terms of trade boom or the commodity price boom. We'd had one. You know, in the early um, noughties, driven by China's industrialization, then we had the GFC, and then we had that huge run-up driven by China's post-GFC fiscal stimulus, and that also spawned. Remember that massive uh, mining construction boom, where so much of the uh, the capital that funded that was coming from overseas, and it also coincided with uh, the U.S. losing its AAA rating, the eurozone debt crisis, and the move by many global. Uh, reserve managers to to um, diversify FX reserves, and, and the Aussie dollar was a major beneficiary of that. So we had the, a real perfect storm driving uh, Aussie higher. But um, you know, had we not had, and the economy was doing really well, I think had we not had that exchange rate strength, um, you know, the chances are mm. we would have had a you know, a much bigger sort of inflation shock at that time. But by and large, over that forty years, I mean it's been relatively stable. We've had a few patches where it's been a it's been a rocky road, hasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, 75 and a half, as I calculated, as the as the average daily closing rate over that 40 year period. But um, and yeah, you know, 
I suppose you know, it depends on your definition of stable, but we've been as low as, as what, 40, uh, 47.70, which was back in uh, 2001. And what I'm reminded of looking at uh, looking at the chart that uh, Rodrigo and I produced is that you know all of the all of the low points have, have come through periods of, of one form or other of international crisis, which is just a reminder that to a large extent, the Aussie dollar is, is often made overseas and in global markets. So if you think about the um, you know, the Asia crisis of 1997, followed by the Russian default. Um, you know, that was one of the low points for the currency. Um, the dot-com bust, which was in 2001, that coincided with the low points uh, for the Aussie down below 50 cents. But, uh, um, and then, of course, the you know, the pandemic, when we had that, uh, you know, that fall um, down to the more recent lows around 55 cents. Interestingly, the RBA itself has only ever sort of intervened twice to um to provide liquidity it didn't intervene during the um during the pandemic but did in the wake of the russian crisis and also during the gfc when the currency looked like it was in uh, was in free fall but um but the other sort of characteristic of those weak periods particularly the the lows that we saw was a period when australian interest rates more bond yields as well as policy rates were running consistently below uh, U.S. or Fed equivalents, and um, you know, fast forward to now, and we've, and we've got Aussie rates trading below U.S. equivalents, and, and the Aussie dollar is very much at the lower end of its sort of historical range. So there's obviously a message there, um, you know. And just looking at the, over the 40 years, I'd say the other, you know, so we either got terms of trade shocks, we've either got sort of risk-off shocks, or we've got these sort of long U.S. dollar cycles, which have primarily been driven by. Fed policy cycles, and I think that's you know that's the the experience that we've had in recent years: dollar strength, Aussie weakness, driven by the Fed policy cycle, potentially going into reverse. Um, you know, early next year that will bring about a weaker dollar. But um, no getting away mm. from the importance of you know Fed policy. All central banks aren't equal. You know that the terms of trade is still highly relevant. Um, hasn't been the last couple of years, but in in, in history certainly it has. And then. Um, you know, risk sentiment continues to be the enemy of the currency. So in that sense, I say not much has changed in 40 years. Well, good. Uh, well, look, if you are a NAB customer, you can get hold of a copy of the 40th anniversary of the Australian dollar float, 40 facts for 40 years, which comes in very handy uh, just as we go into the sort of like the, you know, the pub quiz season over over Christmas. Uh, so if, the, if that question comes up, what percentage of its uh, floating life has the Australian dollar been above 90 cents? you'll be able to point to this and go, I know, 13.8%. You'll get a point on the quiz for that. Uh, Reckon we can sell tickets to that pub quiz? They'll be... Um, <laughs> sounds like a fake They'll be queuing around the block quiz. at the Oaks in uh, Neutral Bay, I reckon. <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway, good to talk, Ray. I think we do talk to you next week, don't we? we get one more from you before Christmas. One more so, time. Look forward we'll, to it. Talk to you then. See you then. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. And a word of warning. Uh, your friends who don't work in the finance industry, they may be less fascinated by the fact that we are celebrating 40 years of the floating Australian dollar today. That's it for the morning call. Uh, it's interesting stuff, though, wasn't it? Uh, back again tomorrow with another one. Thanks for listening.